my stories. I, I, I did the stories and the illustrations. Sometimes they would send us scripts, but I throw them out the window. I happen to be a guy who does what he wants, lives the way he wants to. I love people in general, even the villains in my comics. To me, a people, there is something in their lives that makes them become a problem to others. That's how I saw everything. Welcome back, kids, and thanks for listening as we continue Jack Kirby Month here on Kirby's Kids. Today, we're delving into Sandman, Volume 1, Number 1, from December 1974. Our cover artist is Jack Kirby. Our writer is Joe Simon. Our penciler is Jack Kirby. And our inker is Mike Royer. This would be the reuniting of the dynamic team of Simon and Kirby. They had first started their delve into Sandman back in the golden age of comics. Simon and Kirby came aboard Adventure Comics with issue number 72, where they started their run on the Sandman character. They would forever transform this comic book character into the more action-oriented superhero that he would ultimately end up becoming. A fine start was had with the Sandman character back in the golden age of the Wesley Dodds adventurer who had a gas mask on and caped and looked like a business-suited millionaire. But Kirby and Simon would refine that character over time, getting rid of the cape and turning that character into more of a superhero. Well, when they finally reunited in 1974, they decided to take a vastly different approach to the character. First, no longer were we with Wesley. We were now with a new Sandman. That Sandman would be Garrett Sanford. And this Garrett Sanford Sandman would be a far different creature. So let's delve into this book. We open up with a young boy named Jed who's in the midst of a nightmare. He is then awakened by his grandfather, Ezra, and they go out to find that someone has been disturbed outside of their cabin. They are by the sea, and they pull a man out of the water just in time before he's to die. His last words are in reference to a doll he is holding, and he pleads with them not to fall into the hands, and he calls it a wordlink. The little boy Jed thinks the little stuffed doll is pretty cool, and Ezra, his grandfather, is kind of freaked out by the little thing, but he allows the kid to keep the doll. Well, the little boy Jed continues to have nightmares, and during the second nightmare, a nightmare alert goes out, and quickly we are fixed on Sandman, who is alerted to this nightmare that Jed is having. He is monitoring the dream verse, if you will. And right next to the Sandman are two sidekicks, one named Brute and the other is named Glob. And Brute and Glob apparently help out Sandman in rescuing these folks who are having hideous nightmares. And the Sandman is in his lair. He is dressed in 
yellow tights, a red cape, he's got red boots, got a mask and a hood, it's all red. He is monitoring things on his dream screen. Well, he hops into a device very similar to a boom tube that we would see in the fourth world. Figures to go in and out of various different planes of existence. So he basically, Sandman jumps into this dream tube and whisks himself out of his dream realm into the real world and is able to save Jed from his nightmare. When he comes to from his nightmare, he's clutching this doll and his grandfather, Ezra, walks into the room, grabs the doll and immediately smashes it and then buries it in the backyard. Then we are taken to a whole other series of panels that was really jarring it looked like it was almost the start of a whole new comic. And it's the introduction of General Electric. I'm thinking, GE, weren't they the ones who brought good things to life? What are we talking about General Electric? Well, it's not that General Electric. It's actually a supervillain called General Electric, who just happens to be Japanese. And he was saved by having his brain transformed into a whole series of circuits that are underneath a glass bulbous head. So literally his mind is a computer, essentially. And it's really a far out science fiction-esque character. And in this, General Electric putting together these circuits and making these dolls. And while that's happening, two of the surgeons who actually had done General Electric surgery go and are asking him why with that there's a gaggle of guards that that break through because General Electric ends up becoming very violent because these doctors are trying to take this doll away from him and he ends up escaping from the guards by leaping out of a window and falling. Then we're transformed back over to this island that Jed lives on called Dolphin Island. And there a dog digs up this really ugly looking doll. When that happens, there is also a four alarm nightmare alert. It seems that the children in the area of Dolphin Island where Jed lives and the doll was buried by his grandfather Ezra are all having the same nightmare. And this gets Sandman all worked up. So he slides down his ejector tube, again, very similar to the boom tube, and he arrives in our world, the immortal world, where an earthquake is causing all sorts of damage. He's approached by an officer who begins really laying into Sandman, like, what are you doing here and what's going on? Sandman has to put down the person he immediately rescues and escaped because he's figuring out that, hey, there's some sort of violence or aggravation that's ensuing based on the presence of this doll being on this island. He gets over to the Werblink doll and a uniformed man begins to hand it over. Sandman rushes to save Jed, realizing that indeed this doll would not be good and would be quite, quite harmful. And then these uniformed men actually subdue Sandman and Jed and take them to the back room of a doll repair shop on the mainland. So they take them off of this dolphin island to the mainland. Once they get them there, the uniformed men hand over the verb length 
to General Electric. And it seems that General Electric states that he's been working on exacting revenge on the United States since World War II. And this very much goes into the story trope of Axis agents or powers still existing post-World War II exacting their revenge. So if anyone has seen the Hunters series, I think, I believe that's what it's called, over on Amazon Prime, Al Pacino's on, it kind of plays into some of those tropes, essentially Nazi and Japanese agents going underground, but still trying to exact revenge on the United States post-World War II. And that's exactly what General Electric is doing. And apparently there are several of these dolls, and these dolls are, when they're linked together, send hideous electric charges that'll blow up Washington, D.C. Clear off the mat. Well, while this is going on, one of the uniformed personnel who looks like he is in a German Nazi uniform finds the whistle of Sandman. And when he finds the whistle of Sandman, he blows it. And by doing that, he puts everyone to sleep. This allows Sandman the opportunity to free himself. But by also blowing that whistle, that frequency is heard all the way back in Sandman's lair where his two assistants, Brute and Glob, who were contained in like these glass containers are busted out and they come to aid Sandman. They bring a whole slew of pets that are like really eerie bugs and rats and things that subdue all the people in uniform, basically giving them nightmares and stilling nightmares and foiling the plans of General Electric. Then Sandman is able to regain his whistle. He's able to institute a whole other set of sounds that absolutely causes sound waves to hammer in the head of General Electric, effectively neutralizing him. He busts Jet out. They get out of this doll shop before it explodes. And that's where this story ends. Essentially, with Jed being saved by Sandman and Brute and Glob also come to the aid. And then they, in a flash, they vanish into the stars, not to be seen again. And thus ends this first and only renewed collaboration between Joe Simon and Jack Kirby of Sandman. And this character is a big departure from the original Sandman. Here we see the influence of the Silver Age, the Superhero Age, the tights, the cape, the layer where Sandman is monitoring the Dreamverse and through his panels and his screens is able to monitor the dreams of anybody who is dreaming at a particular time and see where the nightmares are happening and intervene if any really dastardly deeds are trying to be perpetrated against the innocent. It plays towards a more conventional superhero, uh, definitely way different from the one that came out in the Golden Age with the gas mask on and looking like a well-put-together, high-society, suit-wearing cape, though, adventurer. The cape itself wasn't a superhero cape. It was more of a aristocratic uh, cape, a piece of clothing uh, that was worn by that original character. Now, this character would go on along with the original character, to inspire Neil Gaiman in his creation of Morpheus and the Sandman universe. As a matter of fact, there was great care and reverence that would be paid by Neil Gaiman to Jack Kirby and also to Joe Simon's work with 
the character once they had gotten a hold of the series during the Golden Age and then this brief reintroduction during the Bronze Age in 1974. The illustrations in this one are jam-packed superhero, action-filled. There's punching of Nazis, the violence between General Electric and the guards that come in to try to subdue him. There is plenty of creepy action there with Brute and Glob, which is kind of cool. So you kind of have, I wouldn't call it a horror, well, maybe it is a horror element, a grotesque element in Brute and Glob, knowing that they're kind of that creepy crawly things that go bump in the night kind of deal. That they are creatures, though, assisting Sandman of more like of nightmares than they are of sweet dreams. But it's really cool to see them be on the good side of things and helpful to Sandman and this little kid Jed. Overall, this was good comic. I enjoyed it. You saw where Jack was trying to take the character and Joe too, make it fit into more of a Silver Age, Bronze Age mold. And it was a valiant attempt. Now, unfortunately, this, like I said before, was the one and only regrouping of Simon and Kirby to the Sandman character in 1974. Although the series would go on for several more issues, you would not see Joe Simon writing any of those issues. You would see Jack Kirby sporadically in and out of doing illustrations for the series as he was on the downside or the way out of that run at DC and ramping up for onboarding back to Marvel in the mid-70s. So this was definitely a transitional piece, a transitional time for Jack, but a good one to take a look at an old character that both Joe Simon and Jack Kirby had worked on in the Golden Age comics, see their reinterpretation of the character here in the Bronze Age. And from that perspective, it is a fascinating work. Well, kids, we hope that you enjoyed this profile of Sandman from 1974 and that you will continue to take the journey with us throughout the month when we focus in on an issue from Challengers of the Unknown, then head over to Jack Kirby's interpretation and adaptation of 2001 A Space Odyssey, and then wrap up the month with the Kirby Roundtable covering the Eternals. Whatever I put in my comments, I hopefully feel that this love of people may have been transmitted to them and help them. Not help them in any way, I'm not a psychiatrist, but just giving them another friend.